Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, what happens when you get a top consumer marketer leap from the biggest advertiser in the world, Procter & Gamble, to lead marketing at a bank? We're about to find out. ANZ CMO Shweta Mehra joined the bank four years ago from P&G and has driven a raft of reforms, including a marketing master's program inside the organisation designed to build marketing team capabilities and deepen the understanding across the business for how marketing contributes to commercial results. More people inside the ANZ are now championing marketing and less see it purely as a cost centre. Shweta has also some views on in-housing agency services, market mix modelling and media that might surprise you. So this conversation should get really interesting. Welcome, Shweta. Well, Shweta, as we mentioned, you joined ANZ from PNG bang on four years ago. Before we get into the detail of what you've been doing with the bank, what are your biggest observations moving from consumer goods to banking? It's quite a leap. Do consumer goods marketing principles hold for banking? There's an interesting one. Thank you, Paul. It's a pleasure to be here um, on the other side of the podcast that I've heard many times. You're obviously coming back. That's a good sign. (laughs) Now, Paul, it's a great question that you're asking. And I I would say, um, you know, I keep telling everyone the marketing principles are category agnostic, you know, and to some extent, marketing, marketing principles are also not impacted by time. Uh, if you look at that, what do I mean by it? Ultimately, marketing is solving some business problems around acquisition or consumption or retention. We do it very focused on, you know, why does a brand exist? Who are we going after? What do we stand for? And, you know, where and how do you reach out to those customers? All of that, exactly the same in financial services. There are some interesting differences, though more driven by the differences in business model than anything else. So if you think about CPG products, ultimately it's product marketing, whereas in financial services, it's product and services that you're marketing. When you're looking at um, CPG products, you know, it's all about basically filling up your leaky bucket and you're constantly acquiring more customers. Whereas in the financial services, you not just need to manage your front book, as we call it, but you have a lot of customers who stay with the brand or or that service for a long time, and it's about managing the back book. Now, CPG is beginning to think about a little bit of it with the subscription models and so on and so forth. However, that's not historically the core of CPG. And the third thing which I would say is because of the unique nature of financial products, you know, what is the role of volume-driven activity in delivering your revenue number in the year? versus the role of pricing or margin-driven activity in managing your numbers uh, or delivering your targets is quite different. In CPG, almost all of it is driven by your volume-led growth and a little bit by pricing, whereas in financial services, you can have a year where very little of your impact is driven by typically what marketing does, which is volume-led growth. And so it's it's fascinating. You talk about that that front door in CPG and the back door or the longer customer cycle in, in say, banking in, in the sector you're in now. The back book, yeah. Yeah, the back book. Did it take long for you or how did you adapt to thinking two channels, if you like, two pathways? It's 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 a little different. It is quite different. And I have to say the first time I got into the conversations, it was like, hello, hello, what's that? Explain it to me, right? right? And I do think financial services, telecom, all of that um, have that in common. So yes, it takes a while to understand. It takes a while to therefore think about what is the role of marketing, Um, you know, right from acquisition to engagement to uh, on a going basis, it it forces you to think about brand quite differently. So all the kind of learning that frankly, I was looking for uh, when I changed sectors. So it's fascinating. You, yeah, you've got it. Well, we might delve into that a little bit deeper, but I'm I'm interested. We talked earlier, and and you talked about um, ANZ marketing, ANZ marketing team, or the the, the function being seventy percent federated. And I'm really interested. What does that mean? Oh, uh, yes. Um, so I'm sure you've heard that you know about 2018, ANZ embarked on what we call the new ways of working, uh, where we introduced agile at scale across the organisation. And as part of that, we created a lot of um, autonomous squads 
which are focused on a particular mission and bringing that to life for the business. You know, it could be working within products teams, it could be working within channel teams, it could be working within technology teams and so on and so forth. As we did that, we moved about 70% of the marketing function into those multifunctional, independent teams and squads, which are working with the product and channel. And the remaining, I would say 25 to 30% is in what we call the center of expertise, which is leading a more, you know, um, on a going basis, long-term brand strategy, thinking, governance, etc., sponsorship kind of work, whereas a lot of the day-to-day marketing, um, also strategic, also leaning back to the brand, but more focused on the short-term delivery is more uh, outside of the team. So that's the federated model that we're working on. It has the advantage of making marketers at ANZ extremely close to the business, you know, closer than we have ever been and helping them understand the business dynamics, business models, um, and be impacted, you know, or be responsible for the results much more closely than before. Of course, it puts a little bit of uh, pressure, therefore, on myself and the team in the center to make sure that we have the structure which is designed for effectiveness and efficiency, because you can have a tendency to go create more locally, just thinking about the narrow subsets that you're working on. So it has its pros and cons like any other structure. Prior to the federated uh, approach, it was all centralized in pro- marketing was a centralized function at ANZ prior to that, right? That's right. Yeah. And it still is in some of our divisions, uh, but in Australia, it's quite different. So you mentioned it is, it is, the, the upside is it's brought the marketing team much closer to the product teams and the business units themselves. That's the upside. What has probably been, you know, what's your sense on, on the, the, the challenge around that approach? You can have, when you're working just on a particular product team, you can start thinking about what do I need to do for this product? You forget about that ultimately from a consumer, you know, consumer buys into ANZ and then consumers buying into a particular product and service. And, uh, you know, the interrelationship has to be quite acutely managed. And more importantly, when you're thinking about how the brand comes across, you know, whether it's a business relationship or a consumer relationship or a relationship and experience in a channel or or in the um, branch, we need to kind of synchronize it a little bit, right? So, so therefore, the role of the central team has to be that we are playing the dance beautifully and orchestrating it all quite beautifully. And that becomes a bit of a challenge, you know. Frankly, the rest of it is all easy. So just um, apart from that huge uh, restructure you talk about, you know, moving to Agile and so forth uh, back in 2018, you'd been there, what, a year prior to that then, I I imagine? So when you came in, what were your top priorities uh, when you joined the bank um, and settled on the role? There has been some sweeping changes, but um, what was your, your first observations about what the bank was doing and where you felt it could go? If I go back four years, look, even when I joined, ANZ marketing team was always known in the industry for the creativity that it brought, right? And uh, if you look at globally, ANZ Bank has been the most recognized bank at Cannes in terms of number of awards that we won over the years, right? So huge credit to the leaders who, who are still here and leaders who are not there right now, but who built that culture of creativity and focus on consumer and great communication. However, um, you know, what was also very obvious is that marketing is a bit distant from being closer to the center of defining and driving consumer strategy or customer strategy at ANZ. And therefore, when I came in, I wanted to make sure that we're preserving what ANZ is very good at or marketing function is very good at, which is driving reputation for the bank um, and driving brand strength. But it was about how do we accelerate what I call the other two R's, which is um, accelerate revenue growth and deepen the customer relationships with ANZ. There was very little that, uh, despite all the work we were doing, consumers did not differentiate or could not differentiate ANZ from the other banks, but for a blue color. So we had to go back and define, you know, who is the customer that we want to win with? What is a brand we want to build? And, you know, because marketing doesn't do everything, right? So what does that mean in terms of points of differences, points of parity? How does that come to life 
by our digital teams, by our product teams, and so on and so forth. So we had to start learning to act as a glue by providing a bit more of the strategic leadership uh, on driving the reputation. And then on revenue, of course, uh, frankly, it meant that we became students of funnels and started going after every opportunity that was there that we were leaving behind on the table. And I'm really proud of what this team has done and therefore the reputation we have inside the bank of uh, being critical partners to driving revenue growth. And I can talk about quite a few initiatives the team has done phenomenally well on. And I know our CEO has gone on record talking about um, how much more loans were being written that we couldn't even cope with it. And now where our focus is, frankly, is um, on building the whole technology stack that's needed to deepen the relationship. So there's a part which is around driving experience design or designing the experience design, where I think we've done a fair amount of work. But how do you embed that day to day? And how do you use technology to doing that via personalization? I think that's where our focus is. So three hours really is the big change that ANZ marketing has been going through. It's fascinating. Um, when you talked about the customer, we hear a lot, obviously, in in, in the marketing uh, side of things and in, in the debate around industry is who owns the customer, CMO should own the customer. The ANZ and with you, how does that work? Because it's, at, you know, to a to a non-federated uh, model, who owns the customer in the ANZ? I think that's a very loaded question. And I would say we have many senior leaders who feel as seriously and strongly about trying to do the right things to the customer that if there's one particular person owning it or a function owning it, it will probably lead to more problems and not, right? So the approach that we've taken inside ANZ is we want to be extremely customer-centric, We've agreed on, you know, so research and marketing team have led a lot of work with strategy team and the data team on identifying who is the customer that we want to go and win with, right? And that definition and that construct is broadly aligned, right? We again collectively work together. So again, marketing facilitated it. But the points of distinctions and points of parity that I was talking about, we we co-developed it along with all the product leaders and the channel leaders. And we spent a lot of time brainstorming, not just agreeing on a theoretical framework, but in talking about what each one of us will do when we go back to a day job. So how will home loans bring that to life? How will credit cards bring that to life? How will a channel bring that to life? What will need to be true for our bankers to deliver that experience for our customer, right? And now each one is playing that role. So none of us own it altogether, but all of us are responsible for it collectively. Is there a lead coordinator of any sort? How does it, how does it come together? So my team and I have been, I say, marketing acts as the glue. So my research team and I have been acting as the coordinator to some extent. When open questions come up, uh, the need to update come up, we are heavily leading that work in partnership with the strategy and data teams. But that's where it's coming from centrally. Okay. And that's essentially then, you know, if we were kind of try and define what marketing's contribution to the bank's customer uh, engagement and strategy is, it's what you just talked about or is it broader than that? I mean, at, at the highest level, it is that, right? And then after that, as I said, we, we divide the task. So my team is, for example, responsible for digital sales. Now then kind of saying, what should be the dot-com experience? And what should be the sales segmentation choices and all of that? Of course, that will be all directly led by us. Where it is come, coming down to a product innovation, and the product team is responsible for doing it. Where it is about defining uh, or, you know, more executing a lot of that in frontline or channels or mobile lenders and our contact centers is the head of those channels will be responsible for translating the common understanding into the execution in those channels. Do we get together on a regular basis and say, what can we do better? Absolutely. But I'm not, you know, so there's a combination of driving the strategy and there's a combination of then driving the execution for your respective batch. Is there a case then in some areas, some sectors, some businesses for marketing to own the customer? Or is that an antiquated sort of anachronistic worldview, do you think? Look, I think um, owning his customer in this kind of complicated end-to-end system is a recipe for failure. I want multiple owners. I want one person defining it. I want common understanding, but I want multiple owners for driving actionability. 
Mm. Well, succinct and, and that's a conversation for 30 minutes, which I, we don't have, but I'd love to drill into that a bit more. It's really, really fascinating. Um, now, let's just um, – the other thing that was interesting when we were talking is that the, the ANZ's marketing function, when you at least first arrived, did have some very big internal perception issues um, that was really seen, I think you said, as a cost centre. Is that shifting? How, have you, how are you – are you moving the needle? And then I guess how? Look, the way the P&Ls are constructed, marketing will always be a cost, right? And that leads to the conversation around is uh, historical perceptions about marketing being a cost center. Now, where is the needle shifting today is, you know, when we're getting into conversations on budgets, earlier I used to be the one defending marketing budgets. But over a period of time, what we've done is we've linked the marketing performance to business performance so uh, in such a tight, integrative manner that now when marketing budgets are being talked about, it's the business leaders who are talking about, hey, why marketing is important. Right. So, you know, or they are kind of saying, hey, I'm not delivering my numbers because marketing is not there. Or to deliver my numbers, I want more marketing. So you have allies now. Oh, definitely. A lot of allies and partners, no dearth of it. So I definitely don't feel as lonely as I was doing four years ago. And that would be, that's probably one of the sort of the upsides to um, defederating or de- decentralizing uh, the, the marketing function across uh, the, the business units, that's what I imagine has partly helped? Oh, definitely, because, you know, the the marketing team is talking the business language. And then, of course, centrally, Shetil and I drive a lot of discipline on, um, you know, our numbers and performance and measures and so on and so forth, you know. So it's a combination of both are driving the discipline and the business teams and the marketing teams being completely aligned on our common objectives. So I imagine then that it's so is the is the is the attitude uh, towards budget allocation for marketing then do, are you seeing that uh, you're not cut as early or as hard or it's an easier conversation to have with finance I'm just interested in that because honestly I mean you know that's 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 a pressure everyone feels in the marketing team so is it, is it easier then. I look, I think the pressure on the industry and the overall profitability is so high that I don't think any cost conversation or any budget conversation is easy conversation, right? So I just want to acknowledge that. As I said, I have more partners, you know, I have people talking about they want to invest more in it and they're willing to cut in other areas to kind of make sure that we're funding marketing. So that change is definitely there. And I felt it even in the conversations the last 24 to 48 hours in the bank, we're in the middle of the Hunger Games season or what I call the Hunger Games season. Right, yes. Of investment budgets. Yes. The Marketing Masters Program, this is something that you've built internally. It's a fascinating initiative um, designed, I think, to lift the understanding of, of marketing's role right across the business uh, and build better internal capabilities. That's part of that, I guess, defederated sort of structure you're talking about. How is that traveling? Is it what? Where did the idea come from and is it working? So Paul, again, as I said, we, were, we came in and we were trying to expand marketing role beyond reputation to reputation, revenue and relationships. And that meant that we needed to train our marketers and uplift them and build their capabilities. And again, I think everyone keeps talking about marketing is evolving and marketing is changing. And we needed to make sure that we are building a a future-ready, commercially savvy, tech and data proficient marketing function, which which can be extremely customer-centric, but can also be very innovative and is helping us accelerate growth um, for ANZ across our businesses. So when we looked at all of that, we realized that we've got very strong skills or very strong competency levels in a few capability areas, but we probably are not as strong in the others. But, you know, even to have that conversation and saying, which are the ones we, we want to own, again, you know, and this is the common pattern, you'll note, we got together our marketing function, senior leaders across the enterprise. And we talked about, hey, these are the future skills that you require. We broke it down together into 19 capabilities that we think are critical for the future of marketing or even the current of marketing. We broke it down into four competency levels and then we mapped every role inside the organization to those 19 capabilities and four competencies. And the intention is that each person can then become their own boss in deciding where they want to take their career, right? And where they want to grow. How do they want to be versus, you know, in their current job and how can they grow um, 
against that or if they want to aim for a particular role in a few years time how do they chart their path for that so that really was the core intent now how is it doing so far um, i would say 90% of the marketers have um, of course finished their assessment self assessment of where they are they've then kind of converted that into a learning plan along with their uh, managers um and then of course our expectation is that as an organization will uplift overall at about 10%. Now the thing the thing which is most exciting for me is you know if you look at the organization survey results for marketing um you know there are two areas where we're seeing big increases so you know someone is interested in my growth that score has gone up it's at 83% it's a plus 21 versus where we were you know 18 months ago and then if you look at do i have growth opportunities inside this organization that score is at 81% and it's gone up plus 13 points versus year ago so we are seeing increases and of course we're supporting this with a lot of uh, you know content on topics whether a hands on workshops is a lot of curated content which is available for the people to uplift beyond of course the day to day learnings um and opportunities as well. So interesting that, that that's both uh, an internal or a marketing team development program but you're also going more broadly across the organization with this as well right. So how how does that apply there and what's how's that been traveling? So we've got the marketing masters which is very focused on the 19 capabilities and the four competency levels for each role and so on. What we realized was that if you're talking about building a more customer centric bank you remember I talked about um, you know there's so many capabilities and we don't want to do it all by ourselves right and we can't do it all by ourselves we realize that we need to have common understanding of those capabilities more broadly across the organization so we we created what we called a brand academy and the brand academy is essentially marketing led but we've got a lot of content which is used for or which is meant for multifunctional teams so whether it's proposition design so we partnered with a design function and we put in the best of learnings from a lean design principles standpoint we got a best experts within the ANZ and we've created an ANZ way of designing propositions and those workshops and similarly we've got media we've got now data and insights coming up and we're looking at personalization so there's a continuous program where we're rolling out more and more such modules which are invariably about a two day workshop so far we've had more than 700 people who've gone through uh some of these modules with very high scores and this is um so it's great to see and of course thanks to pandemic now we have a face a face to face version and we've got online version but these these are meant for giving you tools hands on exercises and stuff that you can go back to your desk and play around with and apply day to day there's been a little bit going on at the ANZ you are rolling out a, a new market mix modeling approach what's different about it what do you hope it achieves and how's it landing across the business well if you look at most of the market mix modeling efforts you know they they are usually past focused so they come and tell you you know what you did in the previous quarter or previous semester depending on your time frame and what worked and what did not work right so that was and we obviously want our approach to be more forward facing so so you use the past but you want to look at future sufficiency and saying if i need to grow my business by x percent what needs to be true and what is the most optimum use of our spends to get us to do that right so so we're changing the question from rare view to past uh, to future focus the second is if you look at most of the market mix modeling again a lot of them of course the models are different and capabilities are different i'm generalizing i'm aware but most of them are uh, very focused on marketing drivers you know so they'll go into all kinds of details between um you know tv versus so different platform choices they'll get into different kinds of details around different kinds of communications so, you know product versus brand versus offer all of that stuff um they'll get into 15s versus 30s and time of day and all of that stuff but it's all marketing right and i think what we are trying to do is we are trying to link increasingly marketing to business and commercial outcomes so therefore what we want to look at is not just what we call marketing drivers but we want to look at all of business drivers so i want to look at the classical four p's so i want to look at 
you know, marketing spends, but I also want to look at distribution. I want to look at pricing. I want to look at, you know, time to say yes for our loans. I want to look at our policy settings because frankly, you know, sometimes to grow the business, I should not be spending on marketing. You know, if there's $1 left or, you know, I have $100, I may need to spend more on pricing. And sometimes I may need to spend more on distribution, right? Uh, Or in my operations to get more numbers being processed. And I think as a marketing team, if we just talk only marketing, but we don't talk overall revenue, we are doing the business a disservice, right? So so our models that we're looking at are truly a whole of business. And the third thing is, if you look at classical market mix modeling work, Usually you'll have an external expert who's coming in, who shares these PowerPoints. Maybe one or two people in the organization have got access to the models behind it, but it's a big black box ultimately. And what we want is we want this data uh, and this ability to play around with different drivers of your business and plan for the future with our people, with our multifunctional teams, with our finance teams, with our product teams, with our channel teams, with the marketing teams. And you know, we want them to be saying collectively, where should we go? Because ultimately it's about making the right decision for ANZ and uh, balancing between all the different factors. So, so frankly, those are the three things that we were trying to solve for. And this is what a new MMM approach will hopefully deliver, still early days. But um, I'm tempted. I'm tempted. I'm so tempted to want to get into the methodology of what the what the magic is there. I, I, we'll try and come back to that. I, just an aside, though, um, Shweta, is in terms of this market mix modelling, was there not another part of the organisation that was already doing this? Was if it was strategy or finance that are looking for the business drivers? Have they? This is this is a different take on it. That's marketing's bringing the, the, the as you say the whole of business view um, together. What was happening prior to or what's special about what you're doing now? You're right. Business definitely has the knowledge and whether it's the strategy function or the product function, there's a lot of knowledge. But the, that function and all of those knowledges, one, are in silos. So, you know, um, pricing team has a lot of knowledge in pricing. Um, there'll be elements from an operations team which have a lot of knowledge in operations and so on. But even when we talk about them, even as a business today, we look at it with a rearview mirror. And we're all guessing on the relative impact of one versus the other, right? So therefore, you know, this is the first time when we're doing it all together. So hopefully this will help us with investment decisions at a broad level, not just at, a, you know, my patch versus your patch and so on and so forth, right? So so that is new for ANZ. Now that's it. I've seen this done, you know, um, We'd build something similar in my previous roles, and that's what I was hoping to build over here. Just give us a hint of how you're pulling this together, because it's um, it's, so it's all custom internally. Uh, no, we've got an external agency. We've got Accenture Interactive helping us. Uh, they are providing a lot of the technical knowledge, but yes, the the planning of what factors we want to build in, how does the data flow, how do we want the tools to stimulate. Um, the simulator to work, all of that stuff is more where we are providing our knowledge internally. Are you seeing the mindset shift inside the marketing team as you develop this out? Are they are they thinking more commercially and business minded as opposed to the marketing uh, the marketing language? Paul, it's a long journey. I would say we're still like you know, even though I've spent four years, I would say it's still in pockets, right? If I'm very honest, we still have a long way to go. Um, but definitely the marketers, you know, so the revenue linked to, so there's no campaign which goes out without very direct targets and, you know, where we are delivering or we're missing out kind of. So that basic is there, but that holistic commercial thinking, I think we're a bit far if we're on our journey. I want to get to the tech and personalization conversation that, that you mentioned earlier, uh, Shweta, but before we do, just a quick one on the aside. Lots of conversation, at least in the marketing world, about uh, in-housing agencies, which way it goes. I, I, I hear, I could be wrong, but I hear ANZ's doing some work around that at the moment in terms of in-housing parts of, the, parts of your function. What's, what, are, what are both your perspectives on this, on this in-housing versus hybrid versus you know, outside agency? Where does it sit for you guys? I think great agencies are the best gifts that any marketers can get, right? And I do think I need experts in the fast-changing world around me. So we will always keep having a lot of our strong partners, agency, be it from a media standpoint or PR standpoint or creative standpoint and so on, a digital standpoint, right? However, 
there's a massive amount of pressure on cost as you look at what marketing function needs to create. You know, historically, you could create one big TV campaign or a few different assets and you're done. Now you need to create so much of assets. And I have to say, it pains me to pay $2,000, $5,000 for tiny edits here for a banner and a tiny edit for a video, which my son could do, you know, frankly, easily. Right, right. So, so the intention is that, you know, a lot of the strategic work, a lot of the innovation will keep happening with agencies outside. A lot of the grant work, you know, which is about scale, that is what we will be bringing in-house. And we've already done that slightly in a New Zealand office. And, uh, you know, we are going for a model in a, in a federated model. It was not very easy. So we're going for a in-housing, but still with an external agency, but at very low cost uh, compared to the current in our current world in Australia. So that's our lead options right now. But we have we hope to funnel the efficiencies that we get from that into doing more of the work that we actually think will make a bigger difference to our customers. And so will that team that 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 team will sit inside your the bank and run from there? Yes. And is it as much about the content that you need for the social channels as well as collateral for your retail? What what does it cover? So as of now, like you know, we've started very simple stuff, right? Email and the basic collaterals. And then we'll expand it to social and then we'll expand it to display banners, etc. So we've got a whole phase one, phase two kind of things where we are planning it. Uh, But it starts with the really basic. And frankly, if you look at the amount of money we spend just on that, it's it's not the right thing to do as a function, as a responsible right. owner of the com- uh, company capital. So it's, it's as much about velocity here, fast turnaround, I assume, too, as it is uh, uh, about trying to find value. But on the on the on the quantums of both of those, so in terms of velocity, is it, are you able to then look at a turnaround times that are two times or cut the turnaround times by fifty percent? And what's your cost savings here? Our cost savings are definitely much more than even two times, um, and. I would say we're getting about 70 to 80% of a cost out. Wow, right. We are getting uh, speeds which are definitely, you know, we don't have averages right now. It's still pretty new, so I don't want to make a claim and then be wrong. But but definitely in the magnitude of like, you know, same day turnarounds, couple of hours turnarounds is what we are seeing. So it's about, as I say, speed, cost, and frankly, quality over a period of time. Because, you know, frankly, a lot of that work today gets federated out to many different contractors and smaller agencies and sometimes the work doesn't look like ANZ you know and we need to make sure that a lot of it looks and feels more ANZ and and it's out faster. Shweta you talked earlier about the personalization and customer journey with tech and it's a fascinating one everyone every every CMO and every marketing person's stretching having their brains fried essentially to get their heads around this because it's a it's a new world um, much energy and investment has been pouring into into your personalization uh, and marketing tech stacks where are you at on this at the moment? Uh, what's working? What's not? Uh, lots of questions here. And what surprised you? And then what's next? <laughs> There's five. So I'll, I'll, I'll go. We'll go through <laughs> chronologically next time. But I think you're the master at multi-question, question <laughs> kind of. Yeah, right? Sorry. No, no worries, Paul. So, Paul, uh, I think this is the space that, to be honest, attracted me a lot to this industry because it's so data-rich. Uh, compared to my previous roles, I knew I would never get to the cutting edge. Um, in some of those industries, partly because you don't own the data, right? And just just on that though, you would have seen this firsthand. I find it fascinating. Most consumer goods companies, you're right, don't have that direct customer database to understand the get the data firsthand. P and G, your old firm though, they talk about 1.4 billion people in their global data set. Now that's a really different way to think about how consumer goods companies are doing this. It's just an aside, and I'm sorry, but it's fascinating. Yeah, and it's all happened in the last few years. And I think uh, PNG is doing a great job now. L'Oreal is doing a very good job. Reckitt is the other one, which I see standing out versus the players. So, so there are some definitely which are uh, coming up. But I remember when I started thinking about moving, obviously the scenario was quite different. But coming back to ANZ, um, in ANZ, you know, so a few years ago, we were quite far behind, I would say, in a few areas, not because the attempt was not made, but frankly, everyone agrees that this needs to be done, but it is bloody hard, right? And, you know, just aligning the data, aligning the decisioning, aligning the content and making sure it's all right and you're meeting all the regulatory guidelines and all of that stuff is a full-time job, right? 
Now, when I joined ANZ a few years ago, uh, where we were was we had very low personalization, even from a, what I call the digital channels, right? So we had almost no personalization on .com, almost very little personalization on what we call IB, or which is a secure sign-on on websites and so on and so forth. And again, almost nothing on our app. So just digital, because digital is one of the first places you start. Now, um, in my current role of marketing and digital sales at ANZ, you know, so we've really moved far on, on that, at least on a couple of channels. So we've just gone from um, almost nothing two years ago to about 75% of our content on .com is personalized. There's a huge amount of personalization, which is obviously being used for our acquisition itself. Um, and now up to 90% of the content on our secure channels on IB is personalized as of April, May this year. We are seeing many benefits of that. Um, you know, uh, our NPS scores have dramatically gone up because consumers are getting more relevant information. So we've gone from minus 55 to 15 at the same in the same time period as personalization has increased. And obviously our sales have gone up as well because consumers are finding more relevant content and they are they're coming on and they're starting the applications, you know. Um, so can I just ask there, uh, Shweta, is it, is it sort of a, a crude example would be that you might have sent a large part of your database an offer for a mortgage that they didn't actually even want, need, or didn't have a house or whatever it might be, and now you're getting down into – that's the sort of stuff we're talking about or is it – That's right. So right now I'm talking this more on the site, you know. We've got more than 50 million people who visit a site every year. Right. And they were not finding the right content. And now because of personalization they're finding the right content and they're finding that useful and therefore they, they're rating us better and then they are Got it. Um, Got it. joining ANZ, right? Um, then when it comes to, so that's more from an acquisition standpoint and partly from an engagement standpoint, we still have to do it for uh, our app channels and we're beginning to make progress um, on doing that. From our below-the-line engagement with our customers, you know, we've got we've got teams that are doing the work, but we're doing it still in um, we're still in the beginning stages. I would say on that, you know, um, because the whole if you think about personalization, it's moved from having one to many campaigns to you know the customer journey and where you communicate with the consumer in the right place and where it's heading is around more based on the events and based on the interactions that we're having with you. It's not even a journey. It's basically decisioning on the spot that we are moving towards, right? So I would say we're still somewhere more towards the journey right now and the journey automation and in parts of the business, we're trying to make a leapfrog into where event-based decisioning um, is coming to life. And that is basically our biggest building block to kind of making the consumer feel that we know you, we care for you, and we're here to do the right thing for you, which is, you know, not just share more marketing offers, but provide you the right notifications, nudges, insights to help you improve your financial well-being, you know, and therefore, hopefully, the customer will reward us by staying longer with us and having more products with us, right? because ANZ is ultimately doing the right thing for them to make the most of their money. So I'm fascinated with your tech stack and whether what you started out with and what you thought you needed and then what you've got now, how radically different that is. And I'm sorry, yes, there's a second question, Shweta, which is so much we hear about um, sort of the, the, the marketing automation and marketing technology software options is that marketers buy the dream, they buy the, the hope that this is going to deliver, and then the ability to actually get down in the weeds and execute and the resource to be able to run these things and do it properly is a completely different story. So sorry, two questions, but your thoughts? No, I think you're spot on. And I, so when I joined ANZ, um, and if I looked at, ultimately, there are three kind of components, right? So you need your data, you need your decisioning, and you need your content, right? And so when I looked at it, our data, of course, it's not perfect. There's no organization where the data is perfect, but it's good enough for us to get going with quite a few things that we were not doing. So it was more around just thinking through where do we want to go and leverage it first and how. When you looked at the tech stack, right, um, we had we had everything in the bank. <laughs> right. Yes. Sometimes we had too many of them, right? So we had multiple instances of Adobe campaign. We will have, uh, you know, uh, Adobe Analytics and we'll have the Google DMP. So we had, mm. we had multiple things with the same solution. So it was not like if you look at the tech stack components, um, we had enough. Yep. 
You had it all covered. We had it covered. <laughs> we What we were not good at was most of the tech stack implementation had been done for a narrow use case. Right. So there was an Adobe campaign instance, which is more for delivering marketing campaigns. There's another Adobe instance, which is driven for notification brokers or you know, different things are connected to different channels. And therefore, we don't have a view of the holistic customer interactions across all the channels. So my job over the last two years has been really to identify the key stakeholders between data, technology and marketing function, Mm. bring us together and start connecting them all one by one, such that the data decision and the content are all in sync. All right. And and frankly, that's where we're seeing the value and um, simple things like connecting our digital leads that marketing program was generating into our frontline channels, be it mobile lender branch and contact center by reallocating in the right time to the right channel. We are seeing a revenue uplift of $100 million over the next three years, right? Wow, really? Wow. And and. You know, we are seeing conversions which are 30, 40% versus earlier I could see and they were less than 1%. So we were generating the leads, but they were getting lost lost in mm. the in our databases, right? And and for a customer, it was a bad experience because they're asking ANZ to call and we're not calling them back even after three or five days. Now we're calling them back after 15 minutes. So, so there's simple stuff we've gone for. We've not gone for complicated stuff to drive value in the short term. And as we've driven value, we're now just, you know, bringing all stakeholders together to align on what should the connection be. Sometimes it's just rewiring things and saying this goes via this and then here, um, then the other way around. So as we've done that, um, you know, it's it's I'm, I'm pretty sure that this will be one of our biggest drivers of improved customer experience, improved financial well-being and higher revenue growth for ANZ. So have you consolidated your tech stack? Have you reduced the number of uh, – so what does that look like now? What's You want to know the exact components, Paul? Yeah, yeah, if I can. I'm, I'm greedy, sorry. Oh, no, absolutely. So we didn't have a good – we had multiple different CRMs across the bank, and we are kind of um, – two years ago, we did an RFP process, and we've gone for Salesforce um, as a solution pretty much across the organization. From our broad MarTech stack, we have pretty much the whole suite of Adobe – inside the bank. And then from a data standpoint, we're using Teradata and GCP in different parts. And that's how we're consolidating uh, in what we're calling the analytical marketing master. We also have uh, Pega for decisioning to be as as a central brain. We think it's fantastic. And uh, we are just working in parts around what, what do we need Adobe campaign for versus what all can Pega do themselves or by itself. So um, I would say the future tech stack will have Pega, uh, Salesforce, parts of Adobe, not all of Adobe, and of course, continue relying on GCP and Teradata, GCP in the future more and more. And then the the capability internally to run those things, uh, are you building that out or where is that at with the capability? So again, great, great point. So some critical roles, you of course hired people. Um, there were some people who, you know, for example, Adobe, we, we've had the Adobe stack for a while and we've got a set of about 30 people who probably know how to use it within the inch of its life and who are doing a phenomenal job of it, right? So so we've got that. Now we've introducing Pega, which is new. Salesforce CRM is relatively new. So we're hiring some capabilities. But remember I talked about the Brand Academy? Um, yes. And personalization is one of the modules that we are working on within Brand Academy focused on, you know, from a data lens. So what do the data practitioners need? What do the... Uh, marketing professionals need, what do the tech guys need? And we are pulling together a lot of content. Of course, we are leveraging the vendors. You know, Salesforce training program is fantastic. Adobe, it's part of our contractual negotiations that we will have a fair amount of training built in. So that's what we are doing, slowly training the organization and then overall planning the whole big brand academy push. Fascinating stuff. On the data tech and analytics side of stuff, um, Sweater, it's often cited as the new critical capability for modern marketers. Your view on that and then that that tussle between, you know, understanding strategy and brand as well as the tactical technology-based deliverables as well. There's a It could go either way. People get too narrow in their world. So, But basically, data is the new modern capability. 
Look, I um, I would partly agree and partly disagree, Paul. Like, you know, if I look at marketing, uh, I've always felt or I've always learned that marketing is a combination of economic statistics and behavioral sciences. So great marketers understand all three, you know, um, and therefore data and analytics is not new for marketing. Great marketers always understood it, you know, and I had the pleasure to spend first 10 years of my career in analytics function within Procter & Gamble. And I think that's the best, best grounding that I could have got, you know. So it's, it's not, it's not new. Technology is new. And to that extent, I would now say that great marketers need economic statistics, behavioral science and technology within their skill sets. Now, can anyone be good at all of that? Absolutely not, right? You have to go understand what you're very good at and what you'll keep on growing and becoming better at and where you will have your team, which will be complementing you. You know, if you're senior, you have the luxury. If you're a junior person, you need to cover as many of the bases if you want to become senior, unless you want to go down the expert path, which is always an option. So, but yes, it's, uh, and that's partly the way we've designed a marketing masters and everything, where you have the visibility of what kind of skills you need at every level and for different kind of roles and you can plan accordingly or you can choose to go down a particular path. You said you spent your first 10 years in, in, in sort of analytics. What was your formal training? Were you, was it marketing and comm or was it economics? What, what did you do at university? So I did engineering ah, and right. then after that I did an MBA and my MBA was in marketing and finance um, and HR. Okay. Um, and then I joined Procter & Gamble in what we call CMK. It's an internal consulting as a function. So you do everything from like I joined in 2000 and I remember I was doing 2020, imagine what the world will look like. And therefore, on the basis of demographics and everything, you know, which category should PNG get into, which product should be launched and so on, right? Um, so simple things. Now, that was what, 15 years ago, you're doing 2020 uh, outlooks? 2000. Oh, 2000, right. Yes, yes. Um, and of course, there was no e-commerce in it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and there was no pandemic for 2020. That's right. Didn't come into the factor. <laughs> now, from from really dense analytics to uh, one final, second final subject is purpose-led marketing. It's a thing right now, right? Everyone's talking about whether it be uh, environmental, social governance, triple bottom line, CSR, you name it, but and brand purpose. Um I'm really fascinated. You know, we've we've been covering this a little bit at MI3, and we're seeing a whole bunch of things emerge from consumers. I.e., they don't, they can't even you ask them, they can't even name a brand necessarily uh, unaided that is sort of uh, doing this stuff really, really uh, at the top of their mind. Um, does this whole brand purpose thing? Does it have longevity, Twitter? Um, and how, if so, or if not, how is ANZ approaching it? Two questions again. Bloody hell! I got to stop this. <laughs> so, Paul, I think um, great question, and I think there are two levels to this question as well, right? So if you think about purpose-led marketing, there is, as I said, the why behind why your brand exists is core to marketing 101, right? So you needed to know what's the role that you're playing uniquely or what's the role that you're playing over a period of time in customer's life. That was always there. Like if I'm head and shoulders, I'm there to improve the brand, you know, the scalp health of my customers. If I'm Pantene, I want to drive healthy hair, right? Um, so I knew why we exist because that defined the the molecules that your R&D partners are working on, the partnerships that you'll go for, the benefits that you will communicate and so on and so forth. So to that extent, the why is not changed. Now, what is changing is the purpose and the level at which we are setting the purpose. And then how much do we want to communicate the purpose versus the brand and how in uh, you know keenly you want to interweave both of them. Now, where my belief is the brands, as I said, brands need to have a why. And if I'm ANZ, and I remember when I joined ANZ, every document that I received for my onboarding had this line at the top, shaping a world where people and communities thrive. And on the first day when I had my conversation with the CEO, everything was about unpacking that. Why shaping? Why not helping? You know, who are in the communities? What do you define a community? You know, how do you define it? Is it like-minded people? Is it geography, all of that stuff. And what do you mean by thrive, right? And so it was a lot of that discussion. And frankly, as a marketing team, we've taken on ourselves to unpack the gist of that and bringing it to life. So thriving people are about 
you know, uh, financial well-being for us. You know, when you're talking about the communities, we're going after people with a saver mindset who care about financial well-being. So, so we've unpacked and linked it in a strategic concept, but I'm not going and flying the flag high um, beyond a point and just shouting about that purpose, right? And I'm very clear that as a brand, um, you know, you can miss the line or cross the line where the people can say, hey, what's the connection between what you're doing and what service you provide to the customer and then going after a very lofty purpose, which is not connected. So, um, for example, when Black Lives Matter happened in US and people were asking us, will we boycott Facebook over here? And are we, of course, we care deeply about diversity and inclusion. It's so critical and core to ANZ. But do I have a right to comment on that space? And is is that critical? So I think we're just trying to stay, thread the needle. We're ultimately a bank. We're providing financial products and services. And within that, what is our role? What is our purpose? And how do we stay true to that? Not just from a communication standpoint, but with everything that we do. That's the path that we've taken. And it does provide us a very important North Star. Uh, but just talking after and going after a variety of things, I think we're trying to stay away from it. So do I think it's important? Yes. How you interpret it? How do you then go after executing it is more important than shouting about it from the rooftops. Great points and so such a rich discussion to come back and circle around on. Um, final one is you talked earlier about spending maybe 50, 60% of your time at the moment on on the tech stack and personalization and customer and related to, to that whole area. In media, which many still say is one of the bigger line items, cost items in, in, in any organization, how much time do you spend on media? Some of your peers talk 5 to 10%, you're 50 to 60 in tech. Just you're thinking around media, uh, Shweta. So I, I would say, I think in different stages of my uh, time in ANZ, I spend more or less time. So when I came in new, I spent a fair bit of time understanding where we're spending time on. I look at it on a three months, six months in context of our marketing mix modeling and our you know, media training, all the development part of it. What are we doing right? I look at it in context of our contracts, you know, the role of out of home and how it's changing, partnerships that we get into and so on. However, day to day, I'm not spending a whole... So you are interested in that stuff? Oh, very much. The whole philosophy is about outsmart versus outspend. Right. And there's enough pressure that I need to make sure that I am getting my dollar's worth of everything. And I'm pretty convinced that there's a fair amount of ineffectiveness that creeps in. And every year, you have to believe there's at least 10% of your spend which is not effective. So how do you keep on learning and testing and iterating is a critical part of it. So so NetNet, very interested in the topic. I'm not spending day-to-day time on the topic. I am interested in all the tests and learns that we're doing. I am interested in how we're driving more productivity. I am interested in how we're scaling as we're thinking about the brand and the products and the different ways in which we come to life uh, for our customers. I have spent so, I've gone so over time and I'm sorry, but the last question is the next 12 months. So what's the, what's just give me one sort of big theme that's the, your North Star for the next 12 months for ANZ and what you're doing with the team and across the business. And then I promise I'll leave you alone. Look, our North Star is we still don't think our brand is differentiated enough, right? And we want to kind of go on the financial well-being in the hearts and minds of our customers and while doing it, we want to accelerate revenue growth and, uh, you know, make the customers fall in love with the handset. I would say that's it. That's it. And that's it from me. I'm going to stop. Thanks very much for the time. Fascinating, rich conversation. And as I said, yeah, there's another hour there before we can even we even get started. So, But thanks for the time. Thanks for joining. Paul, my pleasure. Love your nested questions, but love the variety and range of them. Rich topic and rich conversation indeed. Thank you. This MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre, that's more. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.